Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. 21-year-old firefighter Brendan McDonough, the lone surviving member of the Granite Mountain Hotshot, said, I miss my brothers. Four simple words. Their fire chief, Prescott Fire Chief Dan Frejo said, What happened on Yarnell Hill is still raw. I can assure you, even so, that our people will keep their heads held up high. If I could fulfill my fondest wish, it would be simply that my tears would wash away the pain that we all feel. I was proud to be their chief. A pastor, when asked to comment, said during that time, right after the death of the 19 hotshots, this past week has been hell on earth. The families in the firefighting community are broken, confused, hurt, numb. One of the wives posted photos of her husband and her children, her late husband, on her Facebook page. And when one of her friends was asked to comment on how Amanda Misner is, is doing, her friend said simply, she's not doing well at all. Think about it. She's pregnant. It's hot and humid in the middle of summer. And she just lost the love of her life, the love that she recently just got married to. Another wife, Julianne Ashcraft, said, You know, there's moments where I think of him and I smile because I love him so much and I feel guilty for smiling because I'm still in this shock. All the while, you know, I have these precious babies that I just want to give anything to have both a mother and a father tuck them in. She has a... A six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. She goes on to say, I don't think that my daughter knows her dad's not going to walk her down the aisle. Or that my sons know that he won't be their coach and those sorts of things. I don't know if that sunk in for them. But I have not stopped thinking about that. I've told them every chance I've gotten since then. You know, your dad loves you and he's with you. One of the dads of the firefighters simply said, it's like a sleepless nightmare. We all go through times in our life, don't we, where tragic events turn our world upside down. This this is something that is... (laughs) at one time unique to these 19 firefighters and common to all mankind. I would, I would guess if I were to ask you to raise your hand today, if there's ever been a, a tragedy in your life or something happened in your life that completely caused your life to do a 180 and go in a completely different direction. I'm not talking about the little frustrations of life here. I'm talking about the big things that turn your life into fruit basket upset, and now everything has changed. All the dreams that you had, all the thoughts you had for the future, maybe 
not only for your future, but for your children's future, they're erased in a moment. Maybe it wasn't a death. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a different kind of event. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a health issue. You or someone in your family all of a sudden learns that you've contracted cancer or serious heart disease or something like that. And and all of a sudden what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen. Just this past week, right here in our church, the nephews of one of our members had a stroke. He's in his early 30s. His wife is about to give birth. Imagine their life right now. And they're calling for our prayers. Part of the reason I'm telling you this is, is, is please pray for this young man named Brendan. What do we do? Here's, here's the first thing that I want us to do. It's very simple. Just to understand... And realize that even if you are a child of God, even if you follow Jesus as your Savior, you know him as your Lord, life is not going to, because of that, always be easy. In fact, it's going to be very difficult at times. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Life is sometimes hard to the point of almost breaking us. And that's true also for those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We have to come to an understanding. Some of those, some of those 19 firefighters, they were believers. Their families were believers, and yet they are experiencing the same feelings of loss as everyone else. The same brokenheartedness, the same changed dreams. And there couldn't be a more beautiful story... <laughs> to talk about broken dreams and lives turned upside down in the story of Ruth. Because even though at one level the story of Ruth is a love story, and, and you, you've heard us talk about two stories going on throughout this entire series as we've, we have a series called The Story, but we've said it's really two stories. There's a lower story, the, the events that are going on down here in everyday lives, but there's an upper story which is the big story, the meta-narrative of what's going on in God's plan of salvation so that he can send his son to be the savior and sins can be forgiven, eternal life returned, righteousness granted to sinners. That's the upper story. And today's story really takes a major step forward in that upper story, but it also tells us a wonderful and beautiful lower story of how God cares for us when we're going through the most tragic events in our life. It's easy to read the book of Ruth and forget that a huge tragedy has occurred. There's a cast of characters here, and you may, you may want to jot down some names just to remember who everyone is. The first person I want to mention is Naomi. Naomi is the mother-in-law in this story. An Israelite woman who, with her husband, Elimelech, has moved to a neighboring country outside of Israel, a country that many times in Israel's history has proven to be an enemy of Israel, a country that worships false gods, 
But there's a famine, there's an economic disaster going on in Israel, and so they move looking for opportunity, looking for some way to put food on the table, and they land in this land of Moab with their two boys. To keep it simple, I'm not going to use all the names. But what happens after the move is that Naomi's husband dies. And she's left a widow with these two boys who eventually, of course, because they're now living in Moab, meet two Moabite women and marry them. The, the one gal is named Orpah. And you can remember her name pretty easily because actually, and this is a little side note for you, Oprah gets her name from Orpah. Her parents misspelled it on the birth certificate, but her name actually comes from this book of Ruth. So Orpah is the one gal. The other gal is named Ruth, the name of the book. The boys get married. They have good marriages and tragedy strikes again. The first son dies and then tragedy strikes a third time. And had all this not happened with the 19 firefighters, it might be really easy to just pass that by. Okay, poor Naomi. She lost her husband and she lost her two boys. I have to believe that Naomi is having all the feelings that we just went through here as we heard the family members. That she was undergoing shattered dreams. That she was feeling that the whole course of her life had changed. That she was wondering, what in the world is God up to? And not only do I have to believe it because I can hear what others say when they go through similar situations, I can actually look in the book of Ruth and see that Naomi herself says, this has left me broken. I I put one of those passages in your crosswalk notes. Notice what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, meaning when she left Israel to move to Moab, I felt like my arms were full. I had my husband, I had my two boys, we were living a blessed life. But the Lord has brought me back empty. What she's talking about here is she's decided this this life in Moab has not been good. I'm going back to Israel. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You see, when life is that hard, 19 fallen firefighters, hard. A stroke at the age of 30, hard. We may struggle with feelings of hopelessness in our lives. With shattered dreams, Where we think our life is going in one direction and all of a sudden we get bowled over and it goes in a completely different direction, we're going to struggle. And I want you to write this down. When life is that hard, I may experience feelings of hopelessness. Now, some of you might be asking, how would I know what that looks like? And I'm going to tell you that I think Naomi paints a beautiful picture of exactly what it looks like. I hear these thoughts all the time in my counseling. And Naomi lays them out for us. First thing she says is, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because my life is bitter. That's exactly what Mara means. She's saying, I don't know who I am anymore. 
This has shaken me up to the point of me not understanding my identity. I am completely unsettled. Maybe some of you have felt that. Where things have changed so much that you would just say, I don't know who I am anymore. Maybe some of you, like Naomi, would say, I got to get out of here. All these disasters have happened right here in this place. I need a fresh start in a new place. We've got to start all over, like Naomi says. If you're experiencing these feelings of of hopelessness, you may feel angry and bitter. You may want to point fingers at someone else and say it's because of him or it's because of her. Naomi even wants to change her name. She feels so angry and bitter. And notice what she says. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She just has a completely, it's not just, you know, I don't, I can't hold hands with my husband anymore. I can't give my boys hugs anymore. I'm not going to have grandchildren now. All those things I'm sure are true, but in her heart, she just feels drained. She feels as if she has no willpower, no energy. Her tank is completely on empty. The only thing she can think of to do is go back where family can take care of her. And in all of these feelings, she begins to think, you know, God must be punishing me. And how easy would that be for her to feel? After all, during, during that drought, during that economic downturn in, in Israel, where had she moved? to a country that was an enemy of God's children. To to a place where it was far more prevalent for false gods to be worshipped than the true gods to be worshipped. And who had her sons married? You see, in the Old Testament, God was very explicit about this. Your young men shall not marry unbelieving women, women from other nations, God had told the Israelites. And yet, Naomi's boys had married two Moabite women. It would have been so easy for Naomi to think to herself, surely God is punishing me. And was God punishing her? What do you think? You know why we know God was not punishing her? You know why we know that God is never punishing you when you go through difficult things in your life? We know this for sure that God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you trust in him as your savior, do you know this? That you can say with certainty, God is not punishing me? Do you know why? Because God is a just God. And as a just God, God will never punish Two people for one sin. And God has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the Bible tells us. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. And since God has laid on him the iniquity of us all, since God has punished Jesus for my sins, for your sins, he will never punish you 
for your sins. Now, we do make a distinction between punish and discipline. Will God sometimes lovingly discipline us to get, get us back on the right track? Yes. But God is never evening the score. That's what punishment is about, evening the score. And it's purely that. It scales. You did this, so you're going to get that. God doesn't do eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth with us. Because he already punished his own one and only son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. Isn't that beautiful? God was not punishing Ruth. Doesn't mean it wasn't painful. Doesn't mean even for us today that life in a fallen world is not painful. And so what happens is Ruth, uh, Naomi decides to go back. Orpah and Ruth are with her. Take a look at this next passage. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, the first daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi. Your mother, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Naomi is saying to Ruth, look, this only makes sense. The right thing for you to do, Ruth, is go back. But Ruth doesn't. Why doesn't she go back? Why does she say stuff here that almost sounds crazy? But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. What does Naomi have during this deep tragedy that we all need? Naomi has a true friend. A person who says to her, I'm with you. I'm I'm by your side. If you're going someplace, I'm going there with you. If you decide to camp out and stay in a place, I'm camping out and staying in that place. Whatever your people are, those are my people. And here's the important statement. From this Moabite woman who had been probably raised to worship a god named Chemosh. I won't go into the horrid practices of worshiping this god. You can research that for yourself. But they were truly horrid. She says, your God will be my God. That is awesome. Ruth, in this moment, has seen Naomi and has seen what she, she brings to the table in terms of even this God who she feels is kind of pressing her down right now, oppressing her. And she still says, I want your God to be my God. Somehow, God's grace is still shining through even Naomi's Depression. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You know she's serious when she says, May the Lord deal with me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You see, this is awesome because this is one of the ways you and I can know when we have a true friend in life. Because Ruth doesn't do what would be the most natural thing in the world for her to do. I mean, after all, come on. Let, let's go back through this list. I don't know who I am. I need a fresh start in a new place. I'm an angry, bitter person. My tank is on, completely on empty. I have no willpower. And God is against me. Raise your hand if you want to hang out with that person.
And Ruth says, I want to hang out with you. That's a true friend. Ruth is not repelled by what's going on in Naomi's life. She is strangely burdened by what is going on in Naomi's life. There's something that comes onto her heart. And this is what I want you to write down. Then I'm going to explain what I mean by this. Ruth is not repelled. Ruth has a burden for Naomi. Now, now what does that mean when, when we say, because that sounds maybe like a, a churchy term or something like that. A, a burden is when I see a person who has a deep need. Ruth saw Naomi in a position where she had a deep need. But it goes beyond that. Ruth also saw that her presence, her abilities, her gifts gave her something. And these were all given to her from God. Your God will be my God. Gave her something to give to Naomi when she was in need. You see, that's, that's, that's what carrying a burden for someone is, is, is when you say to yourself, this, this backpack of gifts and availability that I have right here that I'm carrying, that means your needs. I, I have something to offer for you. And that's, that's really what Ruth is saying to Naomi. I have something. I'm not going to leave you because I love you. I'm carrying a burden for you. And here's, here's where burden even gets interesting. Because when you have a burden for someone, or when you have a burden for, for a certain thing in life, it becomes almost a must-have for you. It, it's, it's not... Something where you feel like it would be nice if I could help this person. Or it would be kind of cool if I could fill this need. When you feel burdened by something, the way Ruth is feeling burdened by Naomi and her needs, you feel like you, God is calling you to meet those needs. It's, it's a must-have for you, and you'll do whatever it takes to at least try and resolve their situation. That's the burden that that Ruth is carrying for Naomi. I know that there are many people in this room that carry a burden. Some of you, for example, uh, carry a burden for for things like lost animals and pets, and and you just can't stand to see. Uh, dogs wandering around, cats wandering around without an owner, without someone to help them. And it just bugs you and you feel like you've been given, you're the dog whisperer, you're the cat whisperer, you're the horse whisperer, whatever it is, you've been given that set of gifts and abilities and you know how to deal with animals and you love animals. That's your burden. We, we have several families in this church that have a burden for orphans. And it's, it's very much like Ruth dealing with Naomi. When I've talked to these families, they're like, this makes no logical sense. I should turn away because we're too old to be dealing with young children. We don't have the financial resources to deal with these young children. But there is just something in you, in your heart, that won't let you unlatch from that. 
you feel you have something that can help those orphans. You see, that's, that's what carrying a burden is like. And this book is filled with people who carry burdens. In fact, later on in this story, as you heard, there, there was a man after they moved back to Israel named Boaz who, who was in Naomi's family who owns a farm. Ruth comes and starts to glean and, and glean just simply means after the harvesters have gone through, there's always leftovers left out in the field. And so the, the law in Old Testament Israel to help take care of the poor was that the poor could come into the fields after the harvesters had gone through and pick up the leftovers that were left in the fields. Ruth and Naomi have no visible means of financial support, so Ruth goes out into the field. Here again, she's just this person saying, I have a burden. For my mother-in-law, we're going to have to make ends meet. However we make ends meet, I'm going out to glean in the fields. By God's guidance and direction, she ends up in the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz, and and this is another thing, it's sort of a historical thing that uh, you have to understand. We're in the period of the judges. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about the judges. Talked about people like Samson and Gideon, and Deborah, and Barak. There's a whole book of the Bible called The Judges. The story of Ruth takes place in that same time period. And during that time period, one of the things that the Israelites had to sort of take care of inheritances and and so on and so forth was what was called uh, a, a kinsman redeemer, sometimes known as a guardian redeemer. And this was a member of the family that was just that. They were a guardian that would watch over the property of the person who had died in the family and take care of it as a substitute for that person. You don't really get to keep it forever as your own. You were acting as a substitute. If they left a widow, part of the the deal was that you would marry the widow, she would become your wife, and you would produce children with her, but they would not be really your children. They would be children for the man who had died. Kind of an interesting concept, but a way to take care of widows and to make sure that the property was passed on to the family in an orderly way. Boaz is one of these guardian redeemers, but he's not the first in line. And and so as As he watches Ruth work and as he learns about this story of what Ruth is doing and the burden that she's developed for her mother-in-law, Boaz, this guardian redeemer, begins to develop a burden also for Ruth. So Ruth has a burden for Naomi and this young man, Boaz, the owner of the field, begins to develop a burden for her, begins to fall in love, want to take care of her. And so he decides, to make a long story short, that he is going to talk to the person who's first in line as the guardian redeemer. He's the second in line. He goes to the city gate, which is where the elders of the town hang out, and begins to talk to this guy. And the guy says, oh, so, so Naomi's property, actually Elimelech's property, is up for grabs? I'll take that, the first guy says. 
Because he'd love to build his holdings. And again, even though it doesn't technically belong to him at that point, he gets to take home the harvest and the money from the harvest. And then Boaz says this. Take a look at the bottom of page one. Then Boaz said to this primary kinsman redeemer, guardian redeemer, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Turn the page over. We'll continue. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. We underline these words, because I might endanger my own estate. This guy doesn't have much of a burden, does he? You know why? Because he's burdened by something else. In fact, he's very protective of that something else, isn't he? And if, if being the guardian redeemer in this situation means that he has to marry Ruth, and, that, and then when it comes to inheritance time, he's going to have to spread that inheritance out, he doesn't want to do that. It's going to endanger his estate. When we carry a burden for something... It can be so compelling and, and so motivating to us that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that not everyone's necessarily going to carry the same burden that we do. And again, we see that several times in this story too, don't we? Here the primary guardian redeemer says, sorry dude, I don't carry that same burden you do. You take Ruth and the inheritance. You can have them. I don't want to endanger my own estate. It, it happens with Orpah and Ruth. Ruth carries a deep burden for Naomi. Orpah doesn't. And what's the difference? Ruth stays on and clings to Naomi. Orpah turns around after kissing her mother goodbye and leaves. It's so important for us to understand this because I'm telling you, one of the greatest burdens of carrying a burden is when others don't carry it with you. If you're one of those people that just loves animals and, and, and other people don't seem to have that same burden as you do, what are you going to find yourself saying? Oh, they just don't get it. And this is important. And then you're going to feel frustrated and angry because they don't carry the burden that you do. If you love orphans, you're going to be constantly looking for other people who want to love and feed and care for orphans the way you do. And when others just don't seem to get the burden that you have, it can even make you feel frustrated and angry at times. Why don't people see the importance of this? But we have to understand for many different reasons, people don't always carry the same burdens that we do. Do you know why I think that, um, that this man Boaz developed a burden for Ruth? If you look in Matthew chapter 1, there's an interesting fact that many people don't know. In the genealogy, Boaz is said to be, and he is, 
the son of Rahab. Do you know who Rahab is? Rahab is the outsider, prostitute, a Jerichoite, not an Israelite, who marries an Israelite named Salmon. You've got to love that name, Salmon. Who wouldn't want to have his name be Salmon? Like, he ought to be running a fishing business for Orf- Orvis. I'm convinced of that. So Rahab marries Salmon. And they produce Boaz. And can you imagine how he grows up? He's like, my mom's... <laughs> What's your mom do? Oh, she was a prostitute. And where's your mom from? Oh, she was from Jericho before we knocked it down. Before God knocked it down. I think he vibed with outsiders. Naturally, because of experience of his own life. And very often, our burden is due to the experiences of our own life. And we have to understand that not everybody shares our experiences. And therefore, not everybody's going to share the same burdens as we share. In fact, it even goes beyond that. Take a look at this next passage. So if you want to write down this, not everyone is going to share my burden. Important to understand. But then look at the passage, Ruth 1.11. Naomi, return home, my daughters. This is back at the beginning of the story. And she asks an important question. Why? Why would you come with me? This makes no sense. You're being crazy to want to come with me. There's no men in Israel for you. I have no way to support you. You have no way to support me. This is crazy. When you carry a burden for something, trust me. Others sometimes are going to see you as obsessed and reckless. Take a look at Acts chapter 26. If you have a Bible, you can just page open to it. If you've got your phone app open, Acts 26. And this is a story of the Apostle Paul. And he's on trial. He's been arrested because he's sharing the gospel. And he's before two men, Agrippa, one of the Herods, and Festus, one of the Roman governors. And he's telling them, Why he has a burden for people who don't know Jesus Christ. And he's explaining the whole story of of how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And how he was a lost person, a sinner, who completely didn't get it. But then Jesus appeared to him. The Holy Spirit entered his heart. He became a man of faith. And this turned his life upside down, topsy-turvy, but in a very positive way. And after that, Paul has a burden for Gentiles. And God actually ends up sending him to the Gentiles. Paul, in general, even has a larger burden than that. Just a burden to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, love, mercy, grace. This is Paul's burden. And it's so interesting to see what Agrippa says. Dude, you are nuts. You are some sort of psycho crazy person. He suggests to Paul after he hears him out. Why are you so intent on this? But you see, Paul has a burden. If you have a burden, sometimes people are going to see you as obsessed and and reckless. And it's important to understand that. They're going to ask, why? Why are you acting that way? But it's also important to understand this. 
There's a difference between burdens, isn't there? Because God has literally commanded some burdens. Not all burdens. And one of the troubles with carrying a burden is other people will ask, well, am I supposed to carry every burden I can possibly see? That's impossible. I I can't carry every load. I can't meet every last person's need. God has not equipped me to do that. But I think we should ask ourselves, are there burdens that God has laid on us as his burdens? And the answer is yes. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gents, if you don't have a burden for your wife, something's wrong. Wives for their husbands. God says there needs to be a burden there. In fact, Wives are called their husband's perfect helper. So if you don't feel that burden as your husband's perfect helper, you need to look at that. Parents for their children. If, if, you're, if you don't feel a burden for the children that you've been given, step back and ask yourself, why am I not, why is there no burden there? Why is there no feeling that I, I have something that can fulfill their needs? Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another, the author to the Hebrews says, and spur one another on to love and good deeds within the church family. God says there is a burden that we are to have for each other, to love each other and care for each other and meet each other's needs. And for people who are headed to hell, for people who don't know Jesus, For people who haven't heard the gospel, the Bible is clear. Paul Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, I feel compelled. Jesus says to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We are to carry a burden for the lost as Jesus carried a burden for the lost. And here's why. Do you see what happens in this story? Because Ruth carries a burden for Naomi, this Naomi who thought, my life is done. All of a sudden, a glimmer of hope begins to to shine in her light. And and that glimmer of hope is not, not something that only Naomi can see. It's something that everyone can see. Take a look at what, what it says about the, the women of the town. The women, and this is of the town back in Israel, said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. When they see all these events go down and Boaz and Ruth get married, Wow, isn't that cool? God took care of you. And here's what I want you to write down. My burden might just lead to someone else's glimmer of hope. Don't forget that. People may not share your burden. People may think your burden is crazy. But especially when your burdens are godly burdens, 
The ones that we just went through, husbands, wives, parents, church family members, a burden for the lost who don't know Jesus as their savior. Trust me that when you carry those burdens, you not only can be, but by the Spirit's power will be a glimmer of hope in their life, the way, the way Ruth is for Naomi. And here's the thing that you want to remember, because some of you may be sitting there going, I wish someone had a burden for me. It's great to talk about me having a burden for others, but I wish just one person had a burden for me. And here's what I'm here to tell you. You know what I'm about to say. Jesus Christ has the biggest burden ever for you. He loves you. And he is never going to leave you. You see, in the upper story, even of Ruth, all of this goes down. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, it all goes down because this is a link, a step in the ladder of God delivering the Messiah to the world, Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because your God never lost sight of a world filled with sinners that needed his love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. He never lost sight of it over hundreds and hundreds of years. And he loved Naomi. And he loved Ruth. And he loved Boaz and he orchestrated the events in their life to take care of them. But he also orchestrated the events in their life to take care of you. Because it was through them that God delivered Jesus to you. Now, if God could lay out a plan that would come down through all those centuries so that today... I, Pastor Jeff, can stand on the stage and say, God has delivered a Savior, a Messiah, a Redeemer to you. That I can say to you that because of Jesus Christ, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian Redeemer. That's a God who loves you, who carries a huge burden for you. And and don't let guilt get in the way. The way Naomi almost did. Because God loved you while you were still a sinner. Loves you while you are still a sinner. Take a look at this last passage. But God demonstrates his own love for us. For us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? God, Jesus carries such a huge burden for you that he gives up his own life to carry the burden of your sins and to deliver the wonderful gift of his righteousness so that you can call yourself holy in the sight of God. Amazing. Wonderful. And that's why in this church, because because we know that Jesus is constantly carrying a burden of love for us, and because we know that because of that burden, that glimmer of hope is much more than a a glimmer of hope, we want to share it with the world. We want to share... This last statement, I have much more than a glimmer of hope because of Jesus' burden for me with everyone who doesn't know Jesus. Are we not together for this, guys? 
to say God is real and he created the heavens and the earth? I mean, we say it almost every week. I believe in God the Father Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. He is real. And he created us. And he created all this. And people need to know that because there are a lot of people who aren't convinced of it. And aren't we together as a church to say, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world. He was born. Born of a virgin Mary. He suffered for us under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified for you. He died and was buried. And he descended into hell to preach that wonderful message of victory over Satan. Satan is defeated. Isn't this the message that we've come together for as a church for unchurched people? Jesus for a world of sinners? And a Holy Spirit who draws us to him. see, we carry a burden together, don't we? And whatever your burden is, I, I just hope you know that it is nothing compared to the burden Jesus Christ has and always will have for you. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For next week, read chapter 10 in the story. I want to encourage you to also think about this. One of the reasons that we have groups at this church is so that you can have a reasonable number of people to help carry their burden, to have a burden for them. Obviously, we're a fairly large church, and you might look around and go, I don't know, I don't even know how I'm going to know what the needs are in this church. Get in a group. Find out the needs in that group. And carry a, carry a little burden for, for the people that are, that are in your group. That's why it's so important. And, and know that when you're in a group, someone is going to be carrying your burdens too. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for having a burden for us. Father, we know that sometimes in life, Tragedy happens to us, to others, and we may wonder, what, what's the meaning of this? We may wonder things like, Naomi, did, are, are you punishing us? Am I ever going to have my life back? Are my dreams completely gone and shattered? In those moments, Lord, we pray for a couple things. One, one, help us to find a friend that has a burden for us. And, and help us to, to find people who share our burdens And then finally, Lord, keep us reminded at all times that no matter if we can't find those earthly friends, there is one friend who is better than a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he always carries a burden for us. And in his love, he acts on that burden perfectly. And Lord, help us all to cling by your Spirit's power alone, by faith, to Jesus, our brother. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I love that song. 
And it always makes me think of long odds. You know, I think Christians love long odds. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, you might remember the scene where Lloyd talks to Mary and he, and he says to her, um, so do I have a chance? And she goes, no, you really don't have much of a chance. And he says, well, what, what do you mean not much of a chance? Like one in a hundred? And she answers, more like one in a million. And he gets a huge smile on his face and says, yes, that means I do have a chance. (laughs) You see, that song is like that, isn't it? And today's message is like that, that when we know that we have a Jesus who has a burden for us, as believers, we can say, I like those chances. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. Please greet someone on the way out who has the same one in a million chances you do, but also Jesus as his champion.